The Sports Career Podcast, episode 219. What high performance principles from sports can be applied in a business environment? Welcome back to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers, and thank you for taking the time to listen to this show. My goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular field in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career as an elite athlete, and also understand how high-performance principles can be applied in the business world. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your sports career development, interests, and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Ben Gollings. Ben is an ex-professional rugby player and the highest point scorer in the World Rugby 7 Series with 2,652 points. Currently, he is a high-performance coach in rugby and in the business sector. For that reason, it's such a privilege to have Ben as a special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Ben will share his sports grid journey and explain to you how high performance principles from sports can be applied in a business environment. Ben, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast show. Please do share to the listeners your sports grid journey. When did it all start? Sure, Ed. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on. It was good to get to uh, get to know you in, in our previous talk with Sega, but uh here on your show. Um, my background, well, I kind of turned professional when I was about 19, 18, 19, just in that kind of final year or so of school and then and then moving out of school. And, uh, yeah, very fortunate to um, move straight into the Harlequins in, in the professional setup, which obviously back then was quite, was, was not right at the beginning of professionalism, but it was fairly early on. And then through that, enjoyed a 12, 13 year stint playing in the Premiership, playing in Australia, New Zealand, uh, Japan, and then back in the UK, all, all the while playing with uh, the England, the England sevens team, um, which was, you know, for me, if I look back, was pretty, pretty fantastic in terms of what I was able to achieve in the game. And I think it all really stemmed from my childhood in in really wanting to be a professional sports person. And that all kind of started a little bit slowly for me because I was a heavy asthmatic, um, in fact, very bad asthmatic. And so I didn't actually really get moving as a child until probably nine, ten years old. I was diagnosed at the age of three and prior to prior to that nine, ten age group, I was I was very much in and out of hospital, uh, kind of test dummy for some of the kind of more renowned kind of uh, medicines that we see now that uh, it, it arguably probably transformed my life, to be honest with you, in that regard. I was I was unable to run around for five minutes before I was having an asthma attack and on all sorts of nebulizers. And coming from a family of six boys, it, it was quite difficult because you, you wanted to keep up, right? So, you know, I'm thankful for, thankful for that. And I think, you know, when I realized my lungs strengthened and I was able to run around, I, I, I didn't really look back in that regard. It was a, a one-track mind. Man, that's really fascinating. Just going back to when you decided to be a pro rugby player, can you just remember when you dedicated yourself to be 
an elite athlete. And like, I just want to highlight again, when you started, it was very amateur turning professionalism. So it, sometimes I think maybe people around you going, look, you sure you don't want that real job? You know, it, there wasn't a pathway built. Almost you're the generation that built it to where these athletes can go in because everything with regards to support is, is around them. If that makes, let's say sports science, for example, it's a lot more developed than when you're a player. So can you just remember when you just literally went, this is what I want to do? To start with, highlighting from what I was speaking about, sport was really my passion, my life. I was at my happiest when I was out playing sport. And I think on one side that was really nice for me was that I was able to just kind of indulge myself in a lot of sports. Um, we lived in the Midlands, in Birmingham, in my younger years. And so there was a very much actually a football influence. And so I played a lot of football. We then moved south to Bournemouth, where we'd say now Bournemouth have got a team in the Premiership. But they certainly didn't have a team in the Premiership when I was running around. It was more of a rugby influence. And you had, you know, London with a lot of rugby and, and, and obviously going west with Bath and Gloucester and the rest. And so as I was going through school, it, it started to pick up. And it was, it was really at about that age 16 where I, 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 I kind of said to myself, yeah, you know, this is, this is what I really want to do. And um, it, it wasn't decided on what sport at that time. I had been playing and trialled with England hockey at the age group of 16s. And I'd done the same with England rugby. And I think just for me there, it started to twig that, you know, rugby was more of the sport that I enjoyed at the higher level. And the turning point actually was not really me deciding as much as just a, a certain event in your life. And it was the Roslyn Park Sevens, the schoolboy sevens, which which back then was, you know, still a very big, big tournament in, in terms of rugby. And my school had never joined it, never played in it. And that was because it wasn't a big kind of sport school as such. It was Camford in Dorset. And I was, I was very lucky through sports. I was able to go there on a scholarship. But um, we ended up winning the event, beating our main rival school. And it was really at that, at that event and that, that tournament that, that kind of springboarded my rugby my rugby opportunities and it was at the early stages where you had a few scouts coming out from from clubs and uh you know i got a few letters uh, presented to me you know asking me whether i'd be interested and you know it suddenly dawned on me that you know this this actually could be a real opportunity and so i think it was at that moment that i, I started to really focus on on that rugby element and and put all my efforts in towards making that a, a reality in terms of being able to turn professional. And this story moves on a few years. I, I was only 16 at the time, obviously it's a bit too early and academies back then weren't really a, a big thing, which was fine. It meant say I could focus on my schoolwork and I, I focused on other sports whilst doing it. And then in my last year at school, I went semi-professional with Gloucester and played a year there. But then as I'd finished, I, I I felt that the move to London and Harlequins was probably something that suited me more. Um, and so literally the day school finished, I, I, I packed my bags and, and drove to London to, to join the Harlequins. And that was, that was uh, I guess, never looked back since. Just with regards to your sevens career, when was the moment when you went, right, I'm going to dedicate to playing sevens? Because again, you know, rugby union, 15 aside, you know, the English league's really popular so and sevens I had Chris Cracknell on the show three or four years ago and he said you know it was the right sport for him but it is a different path if that makes sense yeah and I guess I was different in that regard I never I never actually really made that decision until my very last year funny enough 
So I really enjoyed the fact that I always did both. And so, you know, early on for, for a very number of years, it wasn't really an opportunity to do it full time, if that made sense. And so I balanced um, playing in the English Premiership with, with them playing with the England Sevens. And for me, it was a really nice balance. Being a back that loved to run with the ball and, and, and kind of be a bit more open, it, it gave me that balance between the, the hard attrition that Premiership Rugby was back then and then the opportunity to go away and, and have a bit of release and then come back and you know, balance that tactical element too. But yeah, it was, it was in my final year, I suppose, in that kind of 2010-11 period where the Sevens, you know, having been announced in the Olympics, started to take that move towards full time. And that's when I, I said to myself that, you know, getting a bit older, that was probably the time to really focus because it was going to give my body the best opportunity to, to cope with the rigours it had been through in the past. Um, so it was a bit of a different journey to most. But I look back and I think, you know, I actually, I actually enjoyed and, uh, having, having the opportunity to do both. Just from a skill set perspective, by playing both, did it enhance your skill set when you played 15 and 7s? Because, sorry, I, I'm a fan of yours and I think you know that before uh, speaking to you. You were the, like the playmaker and the thing that was 7s is it's as much as it's a fast tempo game, but it's almost slowing it down, and which is more like in the 15 game. So I'm just intrigued in the position you're in that playing in both sports, did you develop your skill sets in the positions you played? Yeah, definitely. I think there's, there was so much correlation for me. And I think the, the, the big difference with the sevens is I got to express more of that skill because there was more time and space to be able to do so. But it wasn't without trying it in the 15s game as well. Like there were tactical elements, but ultimately, you know, for me, the ability to run with the ball was something I enjoyed doing. So if that opportunity arose in a game of 15s, I'd do it, similar to sevens. But, you know, it, 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 the accuracy and highlight of the passing catch game was, was important. Something I really enjoyed, because in the 15s, I, I played through the back three and at 10. So primarily my main positions were 10 and fullback. So both playmaker roles. I had played a bit on the wing with, you know, part of the skill set was speed transform there. But um, the ability to beat people one-on-one and, you know, people would say, well, it's not a skill you use so much in 15s, but I'd, I'd state that it, it is. And it's a skill that people should use more in 15s because the ability to beat people one-on-one just opens up opportunities. And you, you don't need as much space as you think. And the, the beauty of sevens is it really gave you that confidence. And so I used to love having a couple of weeks of sevens, building up that confidence again, and then being able to go back into the 15s. And not without even thinking, just naturally trying, trying those options. And, you know, more so than often, they'd, they'd, they'd come off. So a lot of transferable skill for me. I like the challenge that both threw up. And particularly being an ex-kind of footballer, I enjoyed the, the kicking tactical elements as well that you had in both 15s, you know, in terms of kicking for touch, territory, etc. But in sevens, using the kick as more of an attacking weapon, the, the chip and chase regather or the, the grubber through and score. Those, I, you know, I, I ended up scoring quite a few tries using those skills, that, you know, being honed through years of playing football. I hope people are listening in. Uh, I now want to look at your career from a bird's eye view. What have you learned the most from your 12 years representing England? Well, well um, you know, I think uh, some of the biggest ones were one, you know, teamwork and just, you know, understanding team dynamics and, and how important that is to performance. Related to that was probably you know, your own personal performance and how that fits within a team as well. And then outside of that was, was, 
which as I think we went through is really adding the, the, the added bits of that high performance focus, you know, the, the one percenters that a lot of people talk about. And we really, uh, Joe, when Joe Lydon took over the team in, in, in 2003 and, and brought quite a lot of that from rugby league, which was, you know, in the early days was, was, was ahead of rugby union in that regard. And it really made a difference, you know, the nutrition really honed in on and the recovery, you know, we, we highlighted the recovery and, you know, England sevens probably kind of tested a lot of these things that then got filtered into the game because it was the environment we could do, the ice baths, the compression pants and, and, and then even GPS. I think we were wearing GPS in 2003, which was very early on. So all of those little bit extras, you see just how, once you're at a certain level, how much they made a difference towards being consistent in your arena. And I think, you know, for me, if I look back and there's, there's a lot that I can take out in terms of uh, utilising that in life beyond, beyond sport. Before we talk about today's podcast topic, which is about high performance and how it's applied in the business world, I've got one simple question. How did you stay focused from an internal or external motivation during those 12 years? You know, that's a long period of time. And I have to say, I'm speaking to the highest scorer in the game. And, you know, Bill Walsh says, you know, with one of his books, you know, the school takes care of itself. But how did you keep that motivation going from such a long period of time from a point school perspective, but even just staying fit as an elite athlete during that period? Yeah, look, I think, you know, one thing that I set my stall out on, and it was a really good piece of advice I was kind of, uh, I was given very early on when I first joined Harlequins. And, when I first joined Harlequins as an 18, 19 year old, like we, we had a, a pretty special team back then with some, with some, you know, absolute legends of the game, the likes of Zinzan Brook, Keith Woods, you know, um, to name, but a few. Um, and the, the, these guys, you learn to pick up certain things. And it was actually, it was, um, it was a guy called John Schuster, who is probably not so much of a household name, but if you go and look him up, He's a bit of a legend of both rugby league and rugby union. He he held goal kicking records in both. He represented New Zealand in in both levels, um, and had played in the NRL in, in Australia, Super League in the UK, English Premiership. Blah, blah, blah. He was he was a legend. But he was a very quiet and unassuming character, and I got quite close to him. And you know, being an Islander, it wasn't so much what he said as to what he what he did. But the one word he did say to me, he said, you know, just make sure that uh, whatever you do, no matter what age, you win every race. And I think, you know, that gave me a lot of confidence because when you're a big squad back then as well, you, you'd always, you, you get put in your place. But you'd also earn respect if you showed willing and want. And I kind of took that on and something I always prided myself on was, not wanting to lose a race, whether it be a fitness test or a sprint test, etc. So that gave me an internal, you know, motivation and, and competitive edge, which which I definitely, you know, I I leaned on, and I think even up to my last days with England, I was right up there in terms of uh, being one of the fittest in the team, um, which which is you know kind of I guess an off-field thing. The on-field thing was the ability to, you know, one was that. It wasn't highlighted so much early on, but the record became a good personal motivator. Although I'd say I didn't overthink it, um, but I did, you know, I, I thought to myself, well, it would be great to you know, go out having kind of set as many points as I possibly could. My target was 3,000, which unfortunately I, I didn't quite manage to, uh, I think another season I may have got there, but unfortunately that wasn't to be. But outside of that, it was also the ability for, 
for England to, you know, we were a very successful team, but we never quite won a World Series, which was something that, you know, something that eluded us. And we were really close on a number of occasions, but couldn't quite. And so that, that, that bug to want to win that was, was quite big. And then I think also, you know, a sevens game momentum, it was the, it was also the, the tag of the Olympics. Now, you know, I'm thankful that I, I came from an, from an era that I believe, you know, supported sevens becoming an Olympic sport. And we were kind of the pioneers in that regard. You know, one thing that niggled me for a long time was I didn't actually get to experience it at that level, which was something I was really gunning for. But, you know, I look back and think we, we provided that opportunity for where Sevens has got to now. And, and that also became a, a bit of a motivator. Yeah, just outside of that is just the, the love of what you do, right? And I enjoyed being in that arena and playing uh, and playing rugby, you know, and it's, it's something I've missed a lot since. Yeah, and just touching on that point, thank you so much for digging deep on that question because I've just been really fascinated and thank you for sharing that. Relating to the Seager forum we did together, we talked about how athletes transition after their career. If you don't mind, I'd love to just dig deep of your experience because I've had athletes on my show, like John Amici, Baroness Tony Gray-Thompson and uh, other athletes in lower league and football and there's always that sort of struggle of what's next. And, and we all go through this, including myself, maybe not as an athlete, but we all go through these decisions. So may I ask how you prepared after your career in rugby? Sure. I mean, I guess a couple of things on that. Firstly, um, I, I wasn't quite probably prepared enough because I wasn't, it was a, the way in which my career finished was a bit of a shock and I wasn't, it, it, it didn't kind of happen the way I wanted. And therefore I hadn't given it as much thought as I probably should. I knew I was coming closer towards the end of my career in age and, you know, in, in terms of how long you'd been in the game. However, you know, when I look back, I think, you know, ultimately if I was to have that conversation with people now, I say, you know, definitely be more prepared than I was. Although there were certain things I had put in place, which was I always wanted to stay in the sport. I knew that. And I always, I always had a passion for coaching. And throughout my, throughout my whole rugby career, I did quite a bit of coaching on the side. You know, I, even when I first started, I'd go down and help at schools and, and, and enjoyed that release outside of the playing. And I think it also supported the playing in terms of looking at the game from a different angle. Um, and I think one of the biggest support mechanisms was probably the relationships that I'd built through, through sport and the people that rugby put me in front of. You know, if I look through the World 7 Series and in the likes of Hong Kong, you're put in front of some pretty impressive people outside of your arena. Like they look in at you and what you do and they're fascinated and amazed. And I'm doing the opposite on the way on the outside going, well, you're incredibly successful business people and you, you may run this empire, you run this business. And, you know, I'm very intrigued and understanding. And so there was that side. And I, I built up that rapport, which, you know, definitely helped post, post my rugby career. And I've leaned on that quite a bit I, in, in the right terms. It's not something that you, you go and kind of uh, take the mickey out of or abuse, but you know, if you, if you have that relationship building ability, you know, they, they can be quite supportive and it, it, whether it's a job or whether it's actually, you know, as mentorship and information outside of your playing, it, it, it really helped me. And so I think what, what probably knocked me off my path a little bit was, the finishing without knowing and that bit I wasn't ready and that kind of that kind of knocked me for a little bit but 
ultimately speaking, I managed to balance kind of a business work relationship when we when I moved to the US and we set up an academy there and then taking that through with coaching and, and what I do now. So it was building blocks there. It wasn't always conscious. And I think that was the, the key as well, bringing that to the conscious mind to when you're playing, you're very, I was very directed on what I wanted to achieve, where I wanted to get to. And it dawned on me about four or five years later after I stopped playing that actually I'd stopped thinking like that for a little while. And that's what I needed to do to enhance my progression and, and transition uh, and, and to maximize what I was doing outside of the game. Thank you so much for sharing that. And again, just for any athletes who are listening in, you've mentioned it with your coaching, but could you just highlight the importance of having other interests than just being an athlete? Um, again, I'm going to relate to another interview I had with Dr. Dave Aldred. He works with athletes and he likes them when they've got like a hobby. Like if it's a violin, he, he works with golf, he plays the violin and plays golf just to have that sort of slight distraction. So how important is that? And you've said it already briefly, but I just want to emphasize the point that it's important just to broaden your horizon with opportunities after your sport. Absolutely. One, one thing we, we talk a bit about now when I'm working with some great people is that as athletes, it can become apparent, you become very one-dimensional. And it's not by fault of you as the athlete, but it's the high performance and everything is focused in that performance, you know, and an individual is even greater than a team perspective, if that makes sense. But that can also play on you a little bit because you live well within that sphere, but don't actually adapt well to the other sphere, which is ultimately just as important and can have a really positive effect on your performance as well. So for me, I remember... When, we, when I moved to Australia and uh, I was just in between clubs and playing and, and trying to crack super rugby, it, it was a funny one because they didn't really allow foreigners in the game back then. But at the same token, I just, I just ended up doing a, um, a personal training course just to keep myself busy. And actually, when I, I didn't really think about it at the time, but when I started doing it, my game actually started to improve and I suddenly realized that you know the fact that I was actually doing something else I was using my mind differently it was actually having a really positive effect on my performance and my want to train and my want to push myself and 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 I looked at that and thought you know it is something that's really important you know as athletes you want growth mindsets and that's in terms of how you learn and, and, and develop in your in your particular sport but also, if you can use that mindset outside of it, the ability to upskill yourself, and it may not be something you ever use, but you may indirectly use it. It's keeping learning and keeping adapting. And you try things. If it's not something for you, that's great. You know then that later on, that's not where you want to go. You've got that experience and you can utilize it somewhere else and take it on. So I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I am a really big believer in terms of definitely having something outside of it. And, and I always did play other sport outside of rugby in particular golf um particularly when i was in england uh, we used to play two or three times a week or and even not go to the driving range and again it just gave you that that different outlet that would still support what you were doing and it was hard because i liked skiing and everything else but you had to draw back on some of those from a risk perspective but you know just just going and doing those things really supports um the the becoming multi-dimensional which helps with the balance in in life and performance wow just really quickly uh what do you play off in golf wise what's the handicap <laughs> <laughs> i i used i not not to the not to the low low numbers i i got down to about 12 or 13 
I was a bit of a bandit because I could have a really good day or a really bad day. <laughs> so I, I quite enjoyed I quite enjoyed that number. It, it kept it fair. Yeah, with regards to Stapleford points, I bet just to give you a helping hand. Just with regards to the mindset bit, really quickly with golf, I, I play it and I really enjoy the sport as much as it's great to hit the ball from distance. But I think it's there's more pressure sometimes in that sport compared to a team sport. So I'm just intrigued of how golf influenced your performance in rugby just in oh, this is just an interest point here yeah no i think it is it's it comes back to the ability to handle pressure and the also the ability to be self-controlled because anyone who's played golf knows it's pretty easy to not throw your toys out the pram but throw your clubs out the back <laughs> there's nothing more annoying when you know how you can hit a shot and you hit it about a foot in front of you and you're just like why why I think it gives you it gives you that kind of perspective, um, as well as the, the the ability to focus and 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 be able to you know bring perform under pressure. And if you relate that to a goal kicker, it's quite it's quite important because it's it's you in the zone, and that's where you know you can relate quite a bit. Because yes, rugby is a team sport, but in that individual moment, it's you, the ball, and the post, which counts. And it's the same thing in golf, and and so. It also is a. It also, I think, the dedication because golf is a sport you've got to be incredibly dedicated to, and you've got to practice, 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 practice. And you know there is a reason why it's kind of you know, it's the uh, drivings for show, puttings for dough because it's that that short game that makes all the difference. It comes back to what you were saying. As a big energetic rugby player, we want to take the heart, want to take the tiger line every time. But actually, the ability to control yourself and play the percentages built a better score and that would have a knock-on effect through your game and you know same thing in in sport and rugby applies you know that tactical awareness around how do you how do you build scores how do you handle that pressure in those moments talking about the next stage of this conversation worked beautifully talking about pressure the the main theme of this uh, subject is high performance principles from sport and apply to business and for a bit of a different listening experience i want to give a case study which hopefully you can relate to these high performance principles relating to one game you played, England versus New Zealand in Wellington, 2009. And just to give a, the listeners a picture, England was, and this was the final as well, 17-5 down at half time, and then you end up winning it 17-19. So talking about pressure, I'd like just to give you the map because you scored the winning points right at the end as the kicker. So I'd love to share your, your experience in that game, but also highlight the high performance principles which then could be transitioned in a business environment there's a lot there sorry but just give the listeners overview yeah no sure um oh look, i think in terms of handling that pressure moment right at the end you know big a big one is experience and also just being able to put yourself in that position sometimes we may shy away from it but the, you know for me it was actually those those moments that i probably thrived on the most because you knew that that was, you know, ultimately why you were there and, and what people were expecting you. And I, I learned my lesson from missing a few uh, big kicks in my time and knowing how that feels as towards knowing what, when and what to do and to really nail those, make the most of those occasions. And if you look at an England team playing in New Zealand, it's not often you win. And it's not often you're getting the opportunity to win. So it wasn't a particularly difficult kick in terms of from my own personal ability. But there's 
a different added edge when you've got a whole crowd that really don't want you to win or really don't want you to kick it. And so it was, it was just the, you know, the experience came there. And it, it, for me, it was the focus on what I was doing and putting myself in, in, in the place where I wanted to be to be able to kick that kick. But ultimately, for me, you know, I, I did my job in that regard. But it's, it comes back to how we got there and the position that we as a team put ourselves in. And that's, that's more important, you know. I'm there to do a job and that's what the team need me to do. And, but it was the way in which, you know, I think if we look at that week in particular in New Zealand, certain things that come across, the dynamics within the team were really good. We had a really good focus between how much we were doing on the field and the training and the preparation and then the off-field recovery and also off-field just release from rugby. And that year, I think it was Ollie Phillips actually, organised for us all to go on a Harley-Davidson rides around, around Wellington, which was, which was a fantastic experience. And so it gave us that kind of know when to switch off and know when to switch on and, and, and flick those switches. And I think, you know, if I highlight that to business, everybody's got to have that balance because over overthink or you're overindulged in it for too long you may miss certain things but the ability to step out have a breather is going to give you more energy to go back in and, and make better decisions and so we got that balance and the dynamic in the group was really good there was a good feeling it also then added to the fact there was a big belief in the team we'd, we'd had a good season and we were performing well we'd been in most of the finals that year so we knew we were capable of getting to a final and winning the big games. And, you know, I think we'd had a few near near shots during that tournament. So we were well prepared going into New Zealand. And having played the first half and being down, you have to quickly assess the game. Again, business principle, you've got to assess the situation you're in and make and think on your feet and adapt really quickly. But we were also confident in the fact that we knew we could come back and we had the players to do it and that, it was through uh, some of probably our own play and wrongdoing as to why they were up in the first place. So we corrected that. We went into with a big belief. We were able as a team to dig deep, which is important, and back ourselves. And, you know, it was a fantastic try that I think Damu Damu finished off at the end, uh, which was also a bit of individual brilliance. But we, we had that balance within our team as well and having that good dynamic where we could feed off each other and, and really trust each other as well, which is an important principle in business, the ability to trust one another within a team. It's, it's something that will, as a highlight in your rugby career, it's not often, as I said, you win in, in New Zealand. And so to get that win was, was huge for that team because we weren't a team necessarily full of superstars, but we were a team that would work hard for each other. And in that year in particular, we, we were getting results and we were very consistent in our performance. Well, just to say, everybody, there is going to be a YouTube link of that game. And hopefully when you watch it and listen to Ben, you can get an analogy of what he's just mentioned. And just one thing I want to touch on is communication. I think from a business standpoint, sport perspective, it's huge. One thing I love about Rugby Sevens is as the viewer, we get a little snippet of when you're in those team huddles, because most of the time they're on the pitch. How have your communication skills enhanced playing Rugby Sevens during those halftime chats? Because they're concise, they're to the point. Reflecting, how has that supported you in a business environment? That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, look, uh, communication is is kind of like the the building blocks for everything in, in terms of how you build relationships with people as to how you make decisions. And, you know, sevens is a game where you don't have very long to think about much. <laughs> so um, it, it, it was a case of in those in those huddles, you had to get your message across very quickly. 
but it was also a case of really pinpointing what were the specifics that you would need to focus on that were going to be the, we're going to really make the difference because a lot of it people players will bring to the table anyway but just you know it's often two maximum three things that we used to focus on that would would really kind of reset our mindset and and really refocus ourselves for the second half um and so it was a very quick uh review process um around what went well what needed to be tweaked um you know and certainly with the what went well was just a case of january was the quickest bit because it was we just got to keep building on these you know whether it was we're keeping the ball wheel, we're building momentum we've got to keep that momentum because that's going to create more pressure and that's going to end up in points hopefully but outside of it look we've got to tweak a few things two or three things we may need to focus on one we've got to get tighter in defense because we're we're spreading the field too thin and we're we're making it hard we're making it hard for ourselves two we've got to make better decisions at the breakdown you know if it's not if it's not available to be taken stay out let's play and three may be that you know again it could come down to a communication thing hey guys we're a little bit quiet we just need to pick up the voices and that's going to solve a lot of our issues two or three things and then let people just dwell on it and it is important that you get that message across very clearly and we you know we talked about that it was you had to be clear you had to be concise and you caught your your communication had to be early generally speaking if you got got it those three things out there you're you're in a good position my goodness i hope people are taking notes and thank you for sharing that as well one thing i want to touch on finally is leadership as a theme you've captured england what did you learn from that experience from just being a player you know for you know playing a long time for England, but then getting that transition of that leadership position I think I learned different styles of leadership. Certainly in my earlier days, I wasn't necessarily the captain, but I think I had a, quite an influence in terms of a, a leadership role because of my actions and the decisions I'd make on the field and the way in which I did communicate. And I think then when I was put into captain, it was, it was really just bringing that to the fore, but without having to overdo it or think that you've got to change too much. Positive was you had the respect to the players, which is important. It was also being able to, I found as well, hear others and, and work with others. Cause even with your experience and your, your, your knowledge in the game, it, it doesn't mean to say you're always right or you, you, you're seeing everything and to be able to be able to receive that information and make decisions on that was important. And I think that was something that highlighted me as a captain and we were able to balance that well, as well as, you know, at some points, being able to have those one-on-one conversations with players to support their performance and or some of the tougher conversations around how they support their performance based on the benefit of the team. Because sometimes people can get lost and it can be, they can look at themselves too much and forget how the team is benefited by the way in which they behave. And you know, sometimes I did notice that and, and how it could detract, but how to bring it back in, which was not pinpointing them so much, but saying, hey, you know, look, we all want to be part of this team. We've all got this purpose here that we want to be here and we want to win. In order for us to do that, have a think about how your performance is going to affect. And at the moment, you know, you need to maybe tweak the way you're thinking because it's rubbing players up the wrong way. You're not maybe meaning to do it, but just recognise that. And, and part of it, I think, came naturally through the years of, of playing. And, and certainly as I look back now, I probably see more around what I was doing naturally and as to why I was in that position. 
and, and certainly as you look at that now you it definitely makes a huge difference in in terms of how you lead outside of a sporting environment just on that point i want to touch on that you said you had that natural say trait or natural characteristics how has that supported you now after rugby reflecting yeah sure i think i mean as a whole it's it's enabled me to build good relationships with people as i stated before and and have the awareness that it's not just about you it's about a group of people it's about the performance and i you know i've also learned that the hard way as well whereby i've sometimes you know as I, as i said i had a few harder years post my career which probably took me away from what my strengths were but again it just highlighted to me what i wasn't utilizing as well as i could be and it is that ability to work well with others and to support both you know the performance of others as well as yourself and that you know simple things like if you think it's your way and the highway it's not going to actually support the performance of the team as well as actually embracing the team and working with them and because if they're comfortable in how they're doing things and they're taking some ownership you're going to get a much better result than if you're trying to force things upon them and you know certainly i i had a big I say big learning curve, but an amazing uh, experience when I was coaching in China. So you're coaching in a completely different language and a completely different culture. And how you balance that and understand that and make sure you don't get misinterpreted was really key. And certainly, I I, I know I I didn't sometimes get it particularly right, but I also had the awareness if I had got it wrong that, you know, you take that on the chin and you move on and you and and you adapt and you work with them and it was it was a really interesting dynamic and i i certainly learned a huge amount about both myself coaching leadership culture coaching in a very different language i was going to say that's how we grow but the one thing i love about rugby sevens is you're playing all over the world so on that point looking back and now you're living in australia how important is to look at sports? Because yeah, at the end of the day, you're playing the same game of rugby. But what have you learned from your experience from playing in different cultures out of interest? It's huge. And I think it's one of the things I really enjoyed, which is probably why I had kind of a, a career in which I did travel quite a bit, probably more so than, than most. I think the one thing about sevens I really enjoyed, the, where you did actually become really quite good friends with other teams and opposition, and yet then you still did battle with each other, but then how you saw them work and the dynamics. And, and I've, I've had the opportunity, I've coached in Sri Lanka and I was just blown away by the culture there, especially at a time when I just got there when the long war had only just finished. And so, you know, these, these people were coming out of a lot of hardship, but the, the happiness within these people and the acceptance of you and just their hunger to listen, learn and, and have fun was was fantastic and it was again it was great seeing how that did and then I went to China which was really different again to working in the Pacific Islands where you've got a really different culture again and you know even the culture between Australia and the UK is different and then in the US um, and I just think it, it really supports underst- one understanding how important culture is and two when you are working within a different culture you've really got to work on bringing the best out of their culture and try and put together this, what works within your culture, but not 
impress your culture too much on them. Because if you try to create too much change in that, you're going to get a lot of pushback. Whereas if you can see, if you can get them to see those qualities and try and enhance it with the, the qualities that they have in their culture, because you know, there's so many cultures that have really good qualities that you just need to bring to the fore. And sometimes they're not. And I think that was the, that's been something that I've, I've learned a lot of as I've been around the blocks and worked in different countries and certainly seen and enjoyed. Thank you again for sharing. Literally, I'm just in awe because what you've just said is so applicable in business, particularly how we're living with this pandemic. And it's so important how you described it. So thank you for that. But Ben, I could talk on and on, but I've really enjoyed this conversation. But I feel like we're at a great stage where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. Now, we've talked about, you've given like insight of your career. You've talked about how you've developed after your career. Out of interest, what three tips would you give to the listener with regards to applying high performance principles to their daily routine? Sure. I can give an example of that. It's, it comes down to being one really disciplined because it's the discipline to do things that creates the good habits that creates the strong performance. And without that discipline, we can let things slide. It's also, you know, going to those things that work for you and, and sticking to them as well. Um, and I'll come back to that in a second. So the discipline is a big one. I think creating that motivational focus. So having goals, targets, things to achieve is is really important. And I know it's a, it's spoken about a lot, but it, it really is. And it doesn't matter how big or small, but it kind of it enables you to be able to recorrect and adapt quickly if things aren't moving the way you want to. And it also then helps you to. I think the other one then is is being really self-reflective and be able to see something coming up and move and shift prior to it having such a big effect on your, on your direction. And I, you know, I've, I've learned the hard way with that, which is, which is fine. You know, you learn from your mistakes, but you know, I think I highlight some of the things when I was, when I was a professional athlete, I used a lot of the goal setting and focus to give myself the direction every year and sit down and, also with my training principles, the way in which I train, the way in which I focused and the routines I created. And I have to say, after I stopped playing, I actually let those slide for a while. And I, I could see this kind of frustration coming in myself and, and, and actually my own personal day-to-day performance not being as strong as it could. And, you know, upon reflection, I becoming more conscious and aware of it. Uh, you know, I came back to the fact I was doing those quite naturally before. But in a different environment, you've, you've also got to say to yourself, well, what was working? And I come back to that and I say, you know, having those now makes a huge difference in my life. And it's not something I can just let go because it does have a big effect. It, certainly, I don't have to train to the intensity or the level I was, but those focuses really help. And so I think for me, that's, that would be where the, the inspiration comes from. That, you know, have those, have those pieces in your life that you, you're really disciplined with you, and you, you focus on because they help create that awareness and focus that you'll need to support your performance in life. Thank you so much. I hope the listeners apply those three, self-discipline, setting goals and targets, and then finally having that self-reflection. Ben, out of interest, how can people interact with you on social media? Good question. So I'm, I'm on, I use primarily, I guess, Instagram, because uh, it kind of links with Facebook, but I'm on Facebook. I am on Twitter, but I don't use Twitter as much. Um, and I am just looking at just in the process of creating a website so be able to connect more and you know i think something something i need to do more is just be a bit more out there and 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 kind of show people more about what i'm doing 
and so I'm creating that website in order to to do that and just to be able to connect with people you know I'm, I'm a big big person who likes to work with people and support people and use what I've done well and what I haven't done well to help help people in life and if I can do that then you know that makes me a happy person amazing well all the links and hopefully one day the new website link will be on this uh, blog post Ben, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Ed, thank you. What a wonderful podcast chat with Ben. Honestly, at times, I'm just grateful that he took the time in his schedule to do this podcast chat with us. Because I don't know about you, but I learned so much during that podcast episode. I think the one thing I admire the most from Ben with regards to his character and attitude is his down-to-earthness and being humbled on how he has performed on the pitch and off the pitch particularly how he coped after his career in rugby. I think if any young athlete or any athlete at all who needs some inspiration with regards to what to do next, without a doubt, I hope this podcast has supported you with regards to that it's okay to figure out that next step. It's normal if you are a bit shocked that it's happened with regards to you finishing your sport or retiring from your sport, if it's through an injury or if it's through a decision through an external person with regards to where you are from a performance level. I think it's just really good and I again admire Ben for his honesty of like how he coped with that situation. But with regards to this podcast topic of how high performance principles can be applied in business, I really do hope you got your pen and paper and you took some notes. Like that case study we did, there were so much great, juicy, golden nuggets of, of learning lessons. Like the ability to be dynamic within a team environment was one. Having the ability to connect with a team by knowing when to work and know when to switch off. That's another point I took. And also with regards to communication of how it's like the foundation of everything we do in sport or in a business environment, but being clear to the point like that structure of those three sort of principles of communicating, being concise to the point and saying it quickly is so important to build momentum with our own performance. But finally, from Ben's three career tips, which I'll be applying, by the way, the one that stuck with me, which I want to emphasize in my conclusion is the importance of setting goals and targets. I have to say it's been spoken on this podcast a lot and it's a topic that is spoken a lot online on social media and training and sometimes when something is promoted so much we forget about the importance I hope that makes sense so for me what Ben said about having a goal small or big it really channels your focus I think that's the point I wanted to share with you it just provides you that stepping stone and where you want to go next and what you want to achieve so look, I really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please let me know your biggest learning lesson on Twitter at edbowers101. I'll be really intrigued what was your biggest takeaway. But also, if this has been helpful, I'll be grateful for your support. If you learned something from this podcast, I would really appreciate if you subscribe, rate the show and actually also leave a uh, review I'll be really grateful this is what I love to do and if you wouldn't mind taking the time to share your thoughts I'll be internally grateful but in the meantime put those career tips in place from Ben put them into action relating to your sports career ambition and make it happen now as always at the end of each podcast episode I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker Ben said develop the discipline to do things that create good habits That is how you create strong performances. 
when you create that strong performance within your ability, that is how you achieve the goals you want to achieve.